Welcome to the Cohort Sisters podcast, where we bring to life the stories, struggles, and successes of Black women navigating doctoral degree programs and their lives beyond the degree. I'm your host and the founder of Cohort Sisters, Dr. Ijama Kola. Cohort Sisters is an online global network empowering Black women pursuing doctoral degrees by providing resources, mentorship, and community. For more information, please visit our website at cohortsisters.com. Hello and welcome to episode 20 of the Cohort Sisters podcast. Today is a solo episode. I did say that I'd be popping in every once in a while with a solo episode. So today I'm going to be chatting about a huge development in my own academic and professional life, which is the fact that I'm relocating to a new city, new state for a postdoc position. So today I wanted to chat about all of the different things that have been going through my mind before the move, during the move, and all of the different considerations around finances, around professional development, around family and motherhood, because those are, you know, real things. And those are things that we don't often talk about. So just gonna want to share where my head is at right now with this new position that I'm going to be starting soon. So what's funny is that before I even applied to graduate school, one of the main reasons why I applied to get a doctoral degree is that I wanted to be a professor. I remember very distinctly being a junior in college and finally coming to terms with the fact I had realized before this, but I had finally accepted that a medical career was not for me. And I was thinking about other things. And I was like, you know, professors, they have it easy. They teach during the school year. They go home at five o'clock. They're not in the emergency room. And then over the summer, they're just home chilling with their families. Little did I know what academics often spend their summers doing, which is catching up on research work, depending on their teaching load during the school year. But the idea of being a professor really appealed to me because it was a life that I thought was very flexible. My parents made very intentional career choices to foster a lifestyle that would allow them to be really hands-on and active in their children's lives. That was something that was very important to them. For example, my mom was a nurse and then left her nursing job to become a real estate appraiser so that she could create her own schedule. The way that I was raised also instilled in me this really immense desire to have a flexible schedule so that I could spend as much time as possible with my family. And so that was one of the appeals of entering the world of academia for me. Again, you know, that was before I actually started my doctoral degree, before I started having close contact with faculty members. So I definitely know a little bit better now, but I was still really adamant that I was not ever going to be one of those people who up and moved her entire family, her entire life to the middle of nowhere in Kansas for the sake of an academic job. I said that in college. I said that in graduate school. I sort of say that today still (laughs) because Kansas, I think, is even still a stretch for me. But 10 years later from when I decided to pursue doctoral studies, here I am moving to what feels like to me the middle of nowhere. And I apologize if anyone is from the Midwest, if anyone is from Indiana, if anyone is from South Bend, Indiana, and you feel like hearing that's the middle of nowhere is offensive. I'm sorry, but as an East Coast, a suburbs of New Jersey raised, adulted in Harlem woman, anywhere I need to look on a map to me is like the middle of nowhere. When I got this opportunity at Notre Dame, it, it really felt like I was 
going back on my promise to myself to never move to the middle of nowhere for an academic position. But, you know, here I am. I applied and was accepted to a postdoc fellowship at the University of Notre Dame. Very excited for the opportunity itself. But outside of the actual job, the other logistics of actually moving myself and my family to a new place for this kind of work has just created a lot, oh my gosh, a lot of different thoughts and questions and really just anxiety for me. So there are several different reasons why moving to a new place for an academic position is quite stressful. (laughs) At least for me, it's been really stressful. So one of the things is that I do feel like I applied to my postdoc and sought out a postdoc position motivated by external factors. So yes, I wanted to explore the world of academia. Yes, I wanted to teach. Yes, I wanted to publish, etc. But there were some external pressures that I felt that I had to maximize in order to still remain viable in the academic market at, at some point in life. And so one thing that my dissertation advisor had told me when we were chatting, I think we had a conversation in maybe October or November of last year, And it really encouraged me to apply. I think I had asked him, how long can someone be out of graduate school, be post-PhD, and still come back? For lack of a better term, what's the expiration date of a doctoral degree? He said, you can probably have an unexplained two-year-long gap on your CV and still make your way back into the academic world. And when I say the academic world, I mean like a tenure track position at an institution. At that point, I was at year one and a half. So (laughs) I felt like, oh crap, my clock is ticking. And so that was a big reason why I felt like if I ever want to pursue academia in the future, like I got to get in now. And then secondly, Everybody was really interested in in hiring Black faculty, whether it was for actual solidarity and and actual efforts to increase diversity measures at their institution or to show face. So whatever the underlying reason was, folks were trying to hire and really were trying to attract faculty of color. And I didn't want to miss that opportunity. Those are some just external pressures that kind of encouraged me to apply to postdocs at the specific time. And for a little bit of context, I think another reason why it was really jarring for me is because I had just moved to Kenya right after I finished my doctoral degree. So I finished in the summer of 2019, moved a few weeks later, and so had been living in Kenya now for a year and a half and was now essentially deciding to come back to America. And I felt like, well, if I don't do it now... I am never going to be able to work my way back to that world if I want to be back in that world. I'm saying if because I'm not sure. And so doing the postdoc kind of allows me to ease my way in and test the waters before I commit to a full on three, three or four, four course load that also has research and writing requirements. So getting a little bit off topic, but just wanted to share a little bit of background about why in the first place did I decide to move my family for a a postdoc and for an academic position. And obviously the reasons and the justifications and and the motivations are going to be different for different people. But that was where this decision for me was coming from. But if you've ever moved, you know that moving is incredibly expensive. Moving internationally is also super expensive. And we we just did it. We, we moved our entire lives exactly like two years ago. Very expensive. And then moving for a job that pays less than your current work 
makes very little sense. We live in a world where education at all levels, starting from pre-K through college, educators are just not valued. Their time and their expertise is not valued and they're not compensated appropriately for their work. There's actually an article in Nature that I read a couple of days ago about disgruntled postdocs, and I'll link it in the show notes, but one person was quoted and they kind of bring up the fact that the salary for clowns in the United States is greater than the average salary for postdocs. And it was like one of those lines that you read and you're like, nah, this ain't right. Like I have to look this up myself. So I went and looked it up myself and lo and behold, the median salary for clowns in the US is $60,000. And my postdoc salary is $60,000. And that was negotiated. That wasn't the original salary. And so after four years of college and seven years of a master's degree and doctoral degree, I'm entering a world where I'm expected to produce knowledge and teach the next generation of scholars, practitioners, researchers on the same salary that others are given to entertain. There's a separate conversation that we need to have about post-PhD compensation because I think people sometimes will say, oh, I want to get a PhD because I'll be able to earn more. And I'm like, that is a bold-faced lie. If you want to go into academia, trust me, that's not the way to make money. It's because I knew that I was going to be taking a pay cut, I was also really intentional about negotiating my postdoc salary, but also negotiating a modest moving allowance for my position. And it's funny because I had asked people whether you can negotiate postdoc terms and was actually told by one person, no, that you can't do that. And then by a more junior scholar, just like, why not try? And I tried and and was successful. I was really proud of myself for that. So that's another kind of quick tip. If you think that some things are non-negotiable, sometimes they are. I think it often depends on how the funding is tied. This postdoc is not an NIH-funded postdoc. Those are pretty much set in stone. You can't really have much wiggle room there. But if it's funded by an independent funder or like a university kind of endowment set aside, then there's a lot more wiggle room. But still, the math doesn't add up, right? So $60,000 to move internationally with a partner and with a child and to take a severe pay cut from the work that I'm currently doing to move to a place that is more expensive in terms of cost of living than the place that I currently live. The math didn't math correctly. Fortunately, I have other sources of income and a decent amount of savings to pick up the slack. And I am doing my postdoc in an environment that has a lower cost of living. So shout out to the Midwest. Gotta give y'all your props for having much cheaper property prices than the East Coast. Because to be honest, I don't think I would have been able to take on this position and make the life adjustments that we have made and are in the process of making so far if I were being paid this amount and expected to live in the New York metro area or in Boston or in California just because the cost of living is just way too high. But what has been even more difficult than figuring out the financial implications of a postdoc is navigating this move with a family. So when I started my doctoral degree, I was in a relationship, but I wasn't married and I was childless. And in some ways, the postdoc kind of feels like an extension of my doctoral degree because I'm still working on the same project. It's protected time, essentially, to teach and to write and to publish, but on the work that was built during my dissertation. And so in that way, it feels like an extension. It feels like a continuation of my doctoral degree. But 
I'm now venturing on this journey with a partner and a toddler in the picture. It's just not as simple as it was before. And when I shared the move with my online community, there were so many questions about what would happen with my spouse's work, which is a very common issue for women in all careers. This like unnecessary concern for a male partner's economic and professional well-being. Or as one of my friends said, why are these people worried about your husband's job as if he owes them child support? (laughs) I died when she said that. But women in academic careers experience this even more so because it's pretty common to move around a lot, to bounce around a lot when you are pursuing an academic career. There's so many different ways that instability is built into the fabric of the academic professions until you get tenure that it's not uncommon for people to move around to a lot of different institutions for their entire careers. And so when female academics do this, there's so much more that we have to take on than our male counterparts. And that's probably not probably that's definitely enough of a topic for a completely different episode. So when female academics move and move with their families, I think it is destabilizing in a way that academia does not address, does not prepare for, and does not even acknowledge. So when I was in graduate school, I I honestly don't remember a single faculty member, male or female, a single faculty member having a young child. And I think we asked this question in cohorts, this is a couple of weeks ago. Do you have any faculty who had young kids? Because at least in the programs that I was in, it wasn't something that was public, that people actually had children. And so when institutions don't create a culture where being open about your work-life balance, which might include a family, then it creates an atmosphere where potential academics don't feel comfortable navigating that world with a family or even pursuing a family if that's something that they want. So even though everybody else was really concerned with what the move would mean for my husband, I was way more concerned and I'm still concerned. Concerned is actually probably too light of a word. I'm very worried about what this move will mean for our one and a half year old son. During last month's Cohort Sisters Mother's Day social event, there was a really good discussion about the fact that there's no right way or right time to be a mother in graduate school and beyond. But it didn't fully resolve a lot of my anxiety about moving our son to a new environment, especially one that is so starkly different from the one that he has grown up in so far. So I've been asking myself, am I screwing up with his development? Is he going to have difficulty making new friends? How's he going to deal with the cold? Because our son was born and raised in Nairobi, Kenya, and up until two weeks ago, had never interacted with a child who was not black. And so in looking for childcare options in South Bend, I found it really difficult to find diverse childcare options near our home, or daycares that at least acknowledge the importance of anti-racism in early childhood education. Do you have any books where my son will be able to see himself in a book? Yes or no? I feel like it's, it's as simple as that. Is there some kind of awareness about the need for representation and the need for inclusivity because of his age? We're not yet able to enroll him in Notre Dame's on-campus early childhood center, 
but none of the about 20 daycares on Notre Dame's unofficial list of recommendations for daycare and childcare centers had images of black children on their homepages. The population of South Bend is 26% black. So it's not like there's zero black people, but none of the daycares that was on that list of recommended daycare options had images of black children. So I've been very concerned about finding him a childcare option where he will not be othered. Kids are not born racist, obviously, but they start to know the difference and verbalize said differences very early, a lot earlier than we thought. And because of the super politicized environment it's not even politicized it's just white supremacy is raging i would say openly raging i just i can't afford a situation where i now need to deal with explaining race and racism to a two-year-old like i don't have that kind of time and so i want to mitigate that risk as much as possible by putting my child in an environment where he is being taught by people who recognize the importance of diversity, of representation, of anti-racism in early childhood education. We did finally find a Black-owned licensed daycare facility, and we're continuing to explore other options. But, you know, one of the biggest struggles about this move is as a young, aspiring female faculty and, and staff of color, like, how are we supposed to feel comfortable making these moves that will be beneficial for our academic careers, but potentially risky for our personal lives. So I think that there's this huge toss up that we don't really talk about in the academic world. I don't know per se if it impacts other industries, but what are schools doing to incentivize or even reward the kind of destabilization of our personal lives and of the family unit that happens when we move for these jobs and for these positions. So those kinds of questions have been heavy on my mind the past few weeks. And of course, I don't know yet what the work culture will be like when I start my postdoc. I'm not sure how many other faculty in my program have young kids. I don't know who works from home, who leaves at 3 p.m. every day, who takes Fridays off. I have no idea what I'm walking into. And I am definitely nervous about a work culture that may or may not be welcoming to the idea of parenthood as a thing that can coexist with academic scholarship. Because again, I didn't come from an institution where those two things coexisted. I just, I never saw it. And because I don't know yet what I'm walking into, we're actually considering keeping our son with one of the grandparents for the first few weeks of my postdoc while I adjust to the work environment and the you know physical environment. I don't want to throw myself into a situation where I'm unable to adjust to a new work culture and, and new work expectations while also having to think about being a mom. Obviously, I'm still going to be thinking about my son the whole time, but I'm considering at least giving myself a little bit of grace and freeing myself from the need to also have to be a hands-on mom and also be thinking about, okay, what are you eating for dinner today? And what are you wearing to daycare tomorrow? And and et cetera, et cetera. And, And really just spend the first few weeks figuring out myself 
And I'm lucky and very grateful that I have a support system in which I can potentially even make that decision because I know that a lot of people don't have that. Now, to be fair, in interviewing tons of Black women for this podcast, I've learned that there are many different experiences that women have had in terms of family, in terms of motherhood and academic pursuits. So there's a chance that I might get really lucky and have a situation where none of these things that are currently keeping me up at night have any merit whatsoever once I start. I think they're all valid concerns. Obviously, I'm biased. I think they're all valid concerns right now, but maybe I'm just stressing about nothing. Maybe it's all going to be cool once I start. In case you can't tell, relocating to a new city, a new state, and a new country, new to some members of the family, for an academic position brings with it many more complications than I could have ever fathomed 10 years ago when I said that I would never move to the middle of nowhere for an academic position. But I've already started building out a community of other Black women to journey alongside of me during this transition. And once I get to Indiana, women that I know both virtually and in real life, because if there's one thing that I know for sure in this world is that Black women are going to hold each other down. Thank you again for listening to this week's episode of the Cohort Sisters podcast. If you are a Black woman interested in joining the Cohort Sisters membership community, or you're looking for more information on how to support or partner with Cohort Sisters, please visit our website at www.cohortsisters.com. You can also find us on all social media platforms at Cohort Sisters. Don't forget to subscribe to the Cohort Sisters podcast and leave us a quick review wherever you're listening. Thank you so much for joining us this week, and we'll catch you in next week's episode.